This is the G Podcast, where we focus on family, friends, finances, freedom, and our future, and f- everything else. This is the G Podcast. We are live once again, and we are featuring Julius Tillery, the one and only founder of Black Cotton. Let's get right to it. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Thank you once again for joining the podcast. Julius Tillery, we got him in the building. <laughs> Yo, appreciate you joining. I can't not say it enough. Definitely looking forward to getting into this conversation with you. Glad to be here. Glad to be on your podcast, man. We, we go back a ways, so glad to be out here to be able to talk about Black Cotton with you. No doubt. So already, like, I got the black, I got the black, black cotton with the black acre. You got the, the white joint on. So we already, mm-hmm. we already letting people know we will, we'll get into that. Cause it was quite a journey to get to this point. Mm-hmm. Fifth generation farmer. I'm curious, like, what does that mean? Fifth generation farmer? That means that your daddy farm, your granddaddy farm, your great granddaddy farm and your great great granddaddy farm. That means y'all all farm the same enterprise or farm together. Multi generational farm. What was the what was the what was the last great? Was it great great? My great great. And your great great grandfather was the first farmer to start this. What ended up being this legacy here? Uh, in, in terms of what's in front of me today, is that fair to say? Even. Even saying that is not fair because his parents worked on the farm. They were slaves. So he was the first person in our family born free and mm. bought land and became and owned a farm enterprise. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. So it was it's crazy. You you got this sort of knowledge because a lot of people don't even know, like five generations deep, that close to when their family or a family member became free in the story and everything. So I think that alone is so powerful in that, like, you actually know that. Like, I'm curious, do you know what the story was as it relates to him purchasing that land or or, or like do you any any about anything about that individual? Well, it's interesting you uh, say that because I don't know a lot about artillery history because of how our family dynamic was. So the first person that um, bought land for our family, the very first person that was free from tillery plantation, um, he was a preacher. He had a church in Tillery, North Carolina, that he actually used to preach at till like his later years in life. So he bought the first part of our family farm and him and his son moved together to Bryantown, which is in Rich Square and where our first part of our family farm was located. And then my grandfather, he was the first person really born on the family farm. So like my family's the the Tillery's from Bryantown, not really from Tillery. Mm, mm. Yeah, but all that is is just mm. it's just across the river, man. So really close. That's that that that's interesting in how the dynamics play out, especially in the in the more rural parts of the state, how you have these sort of situations. So that's that's interesting. But even with the detachment, that heritage of farming still seemingly stayed through from one generation to the next. Like 
What was it about that area and the time that just cultivated that sort of um, career path or professional lifestyle? Well, uh, our area is like the cotton belt of the um, of the state. We grow we grow the most cotton in the state. Like the Roanoke Valley, number one ca- producing producer county of um, cotton is Halifax. Uh, number two is Northampton County. So it's just an area that has row crops and it produces good cotton crops. So. My family's been in it since the beginning of time, it seems like. You know what I'm saying? What is it that, like, what is it that, in, in your opinion, that's unique to that area that produces <clears throat> the, like, that, that makes it able to produce that that quality of cotton at that at that scale? Uh, we have good soil, and I believe our climate is good for it as well. So those two things make it pretty productive for raising cotton. When you say good soil, like, I'm like now I got to get into the nerdy stuff. Like, what makes soil good to grow cotton? Certain types of how spongy it is, the nutrients they can, uh, can absorb, and how long it can stay uh, keeping those nutrients in the plant so it don't dry out really quick. So... That's what make the soil we, we produce on a little bit better. Yes, from the Durham area, it's like a lot of red clay when you start digging. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily like what you're describing. Like, yeah. is, is that, in theory, could we grow the type of cotton here in Durham that you're growing over where you are now? Uh, typically, it's not like a cotton producing area. That red soil is not, is I think it uh, floods uh, easier. And cotton likes uh, dry climates. I think that like the soil is not good for it. I'm not speaking from an agro- agronomist standpoint. My dad knows that stuff a lot better than I do, but I don't even know what agronomist means. (laughs) Like, I just learned a new word. (laughs) Shout out to that right (laughs) there, because I never even heard it said like that before. Agronomist. Word up. So, so, okay, okay, I see where you're coming from there. So, I, I guess my question would be, being a fifth generation, that occupation of farming, I think, might have certain stigmas. Mm-hmm. How did you personally feel growing up about farming, and were you did you embrace it at an early age? It was just like a chore to me. Like a certain families you're born into, and you got to do certain things to survive. Like raising cotton crops and farming go together, like with like cutting grass and washing dishes to me. So it was just one of those things that I just had to do, and I didn't put too much like pride or effort into it, but like. And I became an adult and realized I'm I'm giving this a lot of my like spare time. I was like, how can I make this worthwhile to me and my family for the future? So I wanted to change the narrative and dynamics of the whole industry and business in general. So and make it work for us. Mm, interesting. I watch uh this show, some shout it out. It's called Yellowstone. I don't know if you've ever seen it, mm-hmm. but I never watched much, it, but I, I'm aware of it. It's it follows this like a rural white family that owns all this land, I think in Montana or Wyoming, one of the two, I forget which one, but a lot of farming, uh, raising cattle, like similar work that's about the land. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm curious, like from, from your perspective, that word farming, what does that actually look like in a day-to-day when you were growing up? What were some of the quote-unquote chores that you actually had to do that were just so routine that go into farming? All right. What I even do to this day, like I drive my tractor to um, dis up land. Like that's basically breaking up land after like we cut the stalks from the end of the last fall season. We'll, we'll dis up the land to prepare it to be able to plant again. So then I sometimes put another input on the, called a field plower and I plow it up to make the land really soft and ready for planting. And my dad usually typically runs our planters and I help him like get seeds or, or seeds in our planters to make sure everything is right with planting. So 
put it all down together. Once it starts to grow, then you have to use certain types of chemicals to keep weeds and pesticides uh, pests away from it. But after that grows to a certain level, prepare for harvesting the crops. So seasons for each thing that you have to do. And once mm. you harvest the crop, that's when you end the year. Mm. Mm. And that to plant a seed to harvest, what what is that roughly if you're growing cotton? Time period. You want you can start as early as April, but our weather has been kind of too cool and damp to put your seeds in like that. So we've really been working like in May and you're trying to get them done by the first week in June. For planting cotton. For yeah. planting it. So if you get it planted, you said first week in June, you might be able to actually harvest something about when? October, November. Mm. Typically, if you wanted like cotton in September, you needed to plant it in the beginning of April. Mm. All right. So so you grew up, like what else did you have on the farm or was it just a cotton farm? I'm curious. Cotton and soybeans. Um, we used to also do peanuts, but we got out of peanut business. <clears throat> so what what drives the decisions to grow cotton and soybeans? For the family. There are two row crops that we can easily sell. The row crops of the area, they got people that's actually looking for it and you can grow a lot of it. You can have an enterprise where people that will buy it because you don't want to grow a lot of something that nobody's there to buy it. You said row crops? Basically crops that you just see in rows, like a, um, what they call commodity crops. Mm. Some that don't go bad, really, that you can sell in bulk. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. Cotton would be considered a row crop. Yeah. Soy, beans and cotton do they take to the same soil like now i'm just getting like are these like separate sort of farms if you will or different t ways of of growing the two it'd be in, like you're, you're growing in different fields for sure in the same year you can switch the fields like so we use crop rotation like growing cotton every year in the same spot is not good for the land and growing soybeans in the same spot is not good for the land too so rotating the crops it helps you with the nutrients and that that uh, helps the crops perform better yeah those are two main row crops some people do corn it, like, it, like if you do corn, you want to have irrigation because if it gets dry on corn, it don't produce well. Mm. But we're like, we're like really the, like the beautiful thing about us is we're really small time like row croppers. But when you're small, you can think with a niche mindset. You could think about efficiency. You could think different than a person that's big and got a lot of money investing in something. So, so because are you are you all in on cotton today, or do you still also grow other things on the family farm? Yeah, we grow soybeans and we do a little bit of um. We sell uh, salad greens, like collard greens. Uh, people love buying salad greens. It's tough work picking salad greens. You know, you got to do a lot of working directly with it it's more more direct work to it but um, it's it's cool i like supporting the community as well i helped start a farmer's market so i, I want to be somebody that what i talked about i actually do when you say community what community are we talking about can we shout them out one time here just to make sure everybody listening yeah. Northampton County, Garysburg. I'm in Garysburg right now, but my family farm is in Rich Square. So shout out to Northampton County. To give everybody a perspective where Northampton County is. Yeah. If you're traveling down Interstate I-95 and you're in Virginia and you're going south, we're the first county you'll get to. So we're right mm -hmm. by the Virginia borderline off Interstate I-95. Okay. Okay, Northampton County. So, so right there at the border, where mm -hmm. you grew up, you you were born into a household with farming. Did you have like siblings where you had to share this load? Like, I'm curious, what was what was that part like for you in terms of the household dynamics, and and who else was in the house with you? Uh, my dad, my mom, dad, and I. We actually lived in Weldon, but my dad is the only son to his dad, and my dad and I were always travel to Rich Square to of the farm. So and I have first cousins that work with me, my aunts that work with me. 
So, but okay. my dad is, is is very heavily dependent on my dad now. Okay, it's a it's a family enterprise, and that it's mm -hmm. it's it's multiple hands on deck, a lot of family ties to help push things forward. Well, growing up, then like before you even went to uh like. I guess college, I guess my question is like, were you thinking about black cotton then or or what was what was your mind frame around farming long term when you were in high school? I didn't get the thoughts of black cotton to really like 2016, but uh, I, I always wanted to be able to help my family farm so that it, I, I used to work like I used to work on the weekends on my family farm like very religiously, like when I left to go to high school, school of science and math in Durham, I would go home on weekends to work on a farm. When I was in Carolina, I would go home on weekends to work on a farm. So I always stayed connected to working at the farm, just like on weekends. Mm. But so, go ahead. I you know, just pick. I just with this business, I really picked up and moved back home and like focused on it more. But I've always had a, a king like in me a thing in me to like make sure to stay close to help my dad get the job done okay what like why do you think you have always had this desire to want to do that for the family i'm curious like what what, what is it that you think driving that just responsibility i didn't want to see my being all on my dad or all on my granddad i ain't like it, it was like a chore so if you see the grass growing you got to cut it and like if the bills got to be paid by these crops that we got to raise then we got to raise them I, I just developed this like kinship of changing the narrative because like i don't want to be doing this forever and like feel bad about it like hiding at our farm like i had to change that narrative like like I, i've heard people talk negative about farmers before and like i had to tell the tr truth the truth is like the average farmer is like way more educated now than ever you know what i'm saying like uh, the average farmer has more wealth than now than ever. I'm saying we're more trusted now than ever. If you look at the people who inherit land from like family, typically it's gonna be your smartest person in your family, the one that's most respected, and most trusted. You know what I'm saying I want to be able to share a positive message instead of this negative trope that people get beat down for working on a farm. That's just ignorant. In the 21st century, we want to tell the truth about the matter. And if we don't tell the truth, we'll lose everything we have in our black community. It's a, it's a great point to drive home because. One, what you're saying is absolutely spot on. And then there's also situations where we have families who have a lot of land that's just underdeveloped. It's not really anything going on with the land, but it stayed in the family for generations. No one's just done anything with it. You know what I'm saying? And <clears throat> being able to figure out ways to use that land is very powerful, in my opinion. And I think <clears throat> the way that you creatively come up with this idea. So you said that didn't come till 2016, but but you also said you went to science and math at UNC. So I got to take a couple of steps back as well because I did work at the School of Science and Math at a period of time. Okay. I'm, I'm definitely familiar with that school. And I actually shared a story on a previous podcast about how I grew up in Durham and didn't even know what the school was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> had, had no clue that one of the best schools in the state, if not the country, was right there in my backyard. Well, I'm curious for you, how did you end up finding out about the School of Science and Math? And how did you feel ultimately going there from, say, a smaller town out east? Well, I, I've, I've had some friends this, that went to School of Science and Math before me, but I didn't never think it was for me until I went to a summer program with um, really smart students from across the state. And I realized I didn't have the best grades or the best SCT scores or was even the best prepared. And it started to make me question, like, was I in the right place? I started hearing about science and math. And then my school, the high school I went to was low performing, uh, majority black small school in a rural area. 
and we didn't have certain resources, same type of resources to compete against schools that had that were better resources. Uh, when I was in high school at that time, I was number one in my high school class, and I had a, a certain type of SAT score that qualified me to for opportunities. And I was like, maybe it'll be something that opened up my network to see and better help my community one day. So I took that chance and went along with it. What, like, I'm curious just from your experience, because I lived on campus as a student life instructor. So I managed mm -hmm. the hall of, of young gentlemen who to this day I still see on social media. One of the more enriching experiences professionally, if I, if I have to say, being on that hall with those young men, seeing them develop over time and just being there day after day as a resource for them in such a unique experience. I'm curious, like, how would you just describe your experience at the School of Science and Math? It was tough. It's academically challenging. But uh, if you graduate from science and math, you're special. And I believe that's a networking that. So, and I wanted to be a part of that. And I felt like once I accomplished that, I felt like I accomplished many things. And, I, and that's what drove me to want to go to UNC Chapel Hill. And I did that. And it was great networking I got from that. Like, but any unique moments, memories from there, like being, a, being like in Durham for the first time, or not maybe the first time, but living in Durham as a student and mm -hmm. being a junior and senior in high school, any like memories of just like, being around Durham, you can share that stick out from that time. Northgate Mall, even like going to Southgate Mall, we used to ride around this short bus. Like we're the high school that's not appreciated as science in Durham, but people know about us. They'll see our little short bus and they'll be like, oh, that's the short bus kids. You remember seeing that in the mall? <laughs> science and math, that was the thing. The nerdy yeah. kids, that's cool though. I'm glad yeah, I mean, for it. I didn't even know that, it, I, honestly, that's the thing. I didn't even know that the school existed until I was an adult. It's, it's crazy though the 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 opportunity that it offers to young folks in the state of North Carolina. So, so just if anyone out there is listening, resident in the state of North Carolina, you might or might not be aware, but there is a great opportunity offered to all residents of the state uh, who go to high school and it's and it's a school of science and math and it's a boarding school. So they go there for their junior and senior year. It's quite an experience. You, you see it helps produce gentlemen like Julius and who go on to create Black Cotton. But just from working there myself, I can say like, I would really encourage any parents listening, any uncles, aunties listening. If you got young folks out there interested in the science and math and the STEM sort of fields, that's a great opportunity you might not be aware of. And it's and it's free if you are, if you are uh, fortunate enough to get accepted. Mm -hmm. So shout out to the unis just one time for the... Cause like you said, they don't they don't get shouted out enough. So I have to say that the unis don't get shouted out enough. Absolutely, but we we do our thing. We do. You went to Carolina, like were you a Carolina fan growing up? Mm -hmm. you, did you did you want to go anywhere else? I'm curious, what was that experience like getting from science and math to college? Well, when I was in early high school, I thought I was going to North Carolina A&T. My mom and dad went to A&T. A lot of my cousins went to A&T. A lot of like, memories growing up, hanging out around A&T. So I thought I was going there, but like going to science and math was like my first adult decision. And then like while being there and realizing I was about to graduate from there, I said I wanted to have that same feeling when I got out of college. And then I, I knew I gave science and math everything I had. So I was like, I want to feel that same way when I leave college. And UNC was the best school I got into. And I said, let me just go, roll with it. And it was it was the best decision for me. I saw things in my life I, I don't think I ever seen if I went, went there. Like what, for example? 
my freshman year, we won a national championship. And like to see economic development and growth for the first time in your life. Like when I went to Durham, like Durham was not the Durham that it is now. Like Durham in 2002 was not Durham of 20 years later. Like, yeah, yeah, that's crazy. So, so you, you, yeah, that, dang, ooh, wee, mm, that was 20 years ago. This was in high school. Crucial, crucial, crucial. Man, time is flying, but that's a, that's a great point. This is not the same city as it was in the early 2000s. That is a thousand percent true. Durham has changed on his head in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a fact. But that's a fact. it's all good, though. It's still the same spirit as in the city, though. How would you describe that spirit? The black excellence. Like, when Durham was, like, considered the hood city, like, anybody who was in Durham know there was, like, black excellence there. And the black excellence ain't changed. It's just it's been gentrified. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Word. No, I, I I would have to agree with that. So getting back to so getting back to Carolina. So you you end up going there. You experience the national championship. Okay, that's pretty unique. I have to admit, like going to a school national championship. So did did you like take a sip from the Carolina cult water at that point, and now you just a lifer? Like you 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 would or or like I'm curious. Like were you already like a diehard Carolina fan upon getting that national championship? What's crazy about it is the house I grew up in Weldon and Hurricane Floyd, my eighth grade year, we had like this little sun house, a storage house that we put like wood and tools in. And me and my dad used to cut everybody, like half the neighborhood yards. Like we would like, especially me, like about that age. And we had all our tools and stuff in there. And inside of there, there was this like handcrafted painting of Michael Jordan, James Worthy and Dean Smith. And it was there from like my whole childhood. And Hurricane Floyd came through and destroyed it. Mm. And I didn't realize how much Chapel Hill meant to me from that thing until I, it was gone. And that's what like made me feel like if I could go there, that would, would be where I want to go. Because I know excellence is there. <laughs> Yo, man, I got to admit, man, dudes that go to Carolina trip me out, boy. Like, y'all talk about Carolina doing the way that y'all talk about it is just, man, it's almost almost like a cult. I got I to gotta admit, the, the way that when you, the dudes that I know that actually went there and graduated, when they talk about Carolina, no blemishes. No, no such a pristine thing they hold so close. I'm, I'm just, I don't, I didn't go, I wasn't smart enough to go there. I'm just curious, like, why do you think that is that that's, that that pride exists when you go to the university? What it takes to get in and what it takes to get out. <laughs> okay, so so because of what it takes to get in and get out is why people feel that way is what you think. The ones you're describing, some people just like the people that, that go in and, and get out. They don't even have to go there. It's special people that come from Carolina. It's an interesting school, nonetheless. So we'll move on. So so you go, so you go, so 2016, when did you graduate from Carolina? 2008. All right, so Black Cotton still didn't come to mind yet. So mm. 2008, early beginnings, like what, what were you doing before the thought of Black Cotton came to be? Like what was the, what was the, 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 the sort of career path that you went on or 
what were you doing occupationally? Well, I was working on um, nonprofits for a uh, majority of the time before, uh, well, even when Black Cotton existed, but uh, work, I worked for a nonprofit uh, straight out of college, uh, Raffi USA, and we worked with uh, farmers and like helping them uh, with an innovation and grants. Like they was getting grants for innovative projects. So I was seeing all this innovation that was happening, like how people even write up grants, how they were describing the innovation. I was real good at helping people do that because I minored in entrepreneurship when I was like, Carolina. So I knew how to think creatively in a business mindset. It was no accident that I thought of something creative because I've helped hundreds of people get grants. So I'm saying thinking it innovatively. So you went into a role that forced you to think creatively for other people and how to take advantage of their situation on a routine basis. That's fair to say? Yes. I, even the next job I got, that was it was the same thing, but it was in, in like the conservation environmental world with the conservation fund. So helping what, what people does that be mean, what does that mean? Conservation environment was environmental world. What does that mean? Basically, people who's trying to like nonprofits that's focused on environmental issues such as uh, let's see, even farming, agriculture is environmental issue, uh, climate control, uh, climate, environmental justice issues. Uh, there's so many things in environmentalism. You know what I'm saying like farming, sustainable agriculture. That's an environmentalism, like farming without chemicals, organic farming. It's so many, it's so wide and broad. So I worked in that world for a little while, helping people get grants on environmental projects that and focused on agriculture. What was, I guess, the biggest takeaway in doing that type of work? Because it seems like it, it, it's had at least some sort of uh, influence on where you are today in terms of the, the, the path. But like, what was the, ultimately the biggest takeaway for you that, that stuck with you as an entrepreneur? I wanted to build a business um, that was an economic driver that was that was catchy that it, it had a, a cause to it that was like for profit but also had social awareness to it so i thought in that lens of like how do we solve an issue through a, a business that's profitable and i always try to keep my business at that pl that level like not just complaining about the issue but my business uh solves the issue and that's something that you really picked up in that role helping other entrepreneurs with their business mm -hmm. what was the light bulb moment where you was like and, and and was it originally called black cotton like what's the og light bulb moment name because usually your name gets reworked like i'm curious what was that original light bulb moment and what was the original name you no know, I, I i named the business black cotton.us because i found a website that i knew it wanted to be black cotton and I had a domain and blackcotton.com was taken. So I, uh, it was dot us was available. And I was like, that's it. Blackcotton.us. This is the name of the business. And we're going from there. So you based it off a domain. The name. Yep. Mm -hmm. What made you so? OK, what made you have the idea? I should create a business with my families. Were they already growing cotton in, in, in soybeans already? Yeah, we We've been growing cotton and soybeans for generations. So and, and so you already were doing that. What made you say, well, I got a different business idea for how we leverage or you know, take advantage of these row crops? I'm using well, the words right. I've tried higher value crops like uh, raising mushrooms and other vegetables. But like if I know that the, but the, the backbone of my business is a row crop, I need to make that crop worth more money. And I was just trying to figure out how do we make it worth more money? And I was like, how do we change the narrative on what we're doing? Like, how do we market ourselves differently to make more money? And it just hit me like black farm, black cotton farmers are extinct. I'm going all in on claiming it and making it something new.
do you remember what you were doing when you had this thought? Like, was it like randomly, like on a toilet, like, like, or were you like taking a shower, like, like jogging, like working on a farm? Like, I'm just like, when did you randomly have it all kind of come together? I think like when I was working my job, I think people didn't, some people didn't like the attention I was getting and talking about agriculture. And I was like, I got to make my farm worth more money because like, I didn't feel like I was getting the value in what I was doing to then more so than what I was talking about, who I truly was. So I was like, I got to make my farm and work more money. And when I started thinking about what I did and what I stood for, you know what? This is it for the cotton farmers. I'm going all in. Mm. And from there, that's when I just like just going full in and trying to develop the business. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's 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 oh, that's that's that I think is to be applauded because you seemingly had a pretty good thing going where you were working, doing your thing, getting you even said some attention for agriculture, but you didn't feel like you were getting the value. So you went all in trying to create that value with something that your family has already had. So that's a, to me, that's a very powerful notion and something that is to be acknowledged and highlighted for everyone to see, because we need more of those sort of stories in our community of individuals leveraging what was maybe passed down multiple generations, not selling it, but taking it and then making it the 2.0, 3.0 version for, for generations to come. When it comes to cotton and you having that idea, you go to the domains, you search, like, did you have any other alternatives? So you, cause you just said black cotton, like what made you say black cotton versus Northampton count cotton or some other type of cotton? Like, I'm curious, like, oh, black just... cotton. It's because it's catchy, man. I was like, it catches people's attention because cotton, everybody knows white and black, the complete opposite. So I was thinking of something that's snappy that gets people's attention. Mm, okay. Okay. Word, word. And you, so, so you have black cotton, like, tell me, so from, to start, what was the original vision for the business of the cotton when you first said, okay, we're about to do something different? Like, how are you going to monetize that cotton? Like, what were the early stages of monetization? What was what was the idea? Now, the original idea was to turn take my cotton and turn it into t-shirts and, and, and clothing apparel. That's an initial idea. But like, when I started to research what was required to make that happen, it seemed impossible because it would require hundreds of thousands of dollars. And like mm-hmm. I pitched the business one time to a rich guy and he told me I was making an assumption that people would care that my, my clothing is made from black farmers cotton. So from that moment on, I said, you know what? I'm not pitching this business no more. I'm gonna make our cotton worth something first. And I'm gonna make people care about my black cotton. And that's when I started focusing on the home decor business because I didn't have no way to make what I had happen, but I had cotton. So I just started getting creative with it. I just started saying, hey, I need to be more creative. I need to be more creative. We need to make, we need to be in tune with what people think is creative. And that just started all these options from home decor, the vase, it started with vases in you know, cotton and vases that turned into wreaths and turned into jewelry, it turned into all types of centerpieces, um, Christmas ornaments, so many creative ways we can use the cotton to make home decorations and accessories. And Just so being open. That home decor, like what were some of the lessons learned there? Because you said the long-term vision was to get to say stuff like this with the shirts. Mm-hmm. But but in creating a home decor, like what were some of the things that you sort of learned there that, that are like gonna stick with you over time? 
Well, I had to make I had to make sure that our influence was right. I had to make sure people knew we was coming from the right place with this cotton. Like we're not exploitive. We're not trying to sell ourselves short. We're not trying to make ourselves look silly. And and we wanted something to be people to be proud of when they see our products. Like like people like to complain and talk junk about their situation, but have they put in the true work and used what they had around them? Now, people who knows my business know that that's what we've done is created a value with the, the assets that we have. Mm. Like those early stages, I'm like, I'm, I just got to ask because most entrepreneurs have moments where it brings them to tears, where I can't believe this is happening. Like what was sort of the biggest early lesson learned for you, especially in the cotton business where you might've thought you had, were, were more confident than what you should have been. You thought you had it figured out and you really got taught a lesson. Hmm. I, I would say like going like a going on a long trip to sell products, but wasn't ready to sell them. Like I really didn't know how to make my products the way I wanted to. Like I really didn't, I had good ideas, but they wasn't ready yet. And it took me really being here. Like, I think I was, it, I was still in that moment of living in Durham, but trying to run my business in Northampton County. Like I didn't really master and perfect everything with the business, like even the shipping components and every small gestured of how a person, a consumer wants to like get their product until I was here full time focused on it. Mm, so mm. and like when you're going out on trips to sell your products, but you don't fully understand your product, you don't, your trip is like not a hundred percent what it could be. You know what I'm saying? So I had to be fully focused on maximizing my opportunities. Mm, word, word. And I'm going all in, I think is, it's understated. Like to, to go to the, to a certain levels takes like a certain level of obsession to go mm -hmm. to where you ultimately want to go. Being able to commit yourself to a passion or better, not even a passion, a really good idea, something that you believe in. It's not just a passion. It's really a belief. I think is a better word to commit yourself to a belief and an idea and then put in that work consistently is not easy to do. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and that was a sacrifice you chose to make. Like, mm -hmm. And in doing so, you've since, like you said, started to to get into the weeds. Like from a business standpoint, I'm curious, owning a business, getting into the weeds, like just what do you feel is the most difficult thing about trying to run a cotton business? Now, my conventional cotton business with my dad is like, that's been generationally built up, but like this a unique marketing space that I am that uh, I've been blessed with because of the internet, Learning how to manage workers and be able to get products out and manage your, 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 uh, what's the word I want to say? Your image, your lightness. You know I'm saying like managing that, like understanding what your attention economy is, like giving your, your audience the best stuff to make them want to support you. And like sometimes I have really stepped back my like marketing for the bigger cost. So thinking about your bigger plans and your goals and aspirations to be able to get them. I remember in 2018, I set some goals, right, uh, that I wanted to accomplish by 2019. And by the end of 2019, I did not accomplish those goals. But I remember I said in 2019, but same goals roll over. I just stayed at it. And in 2020, I accomplished all those goals. If you set something really serious and, and it seems out of this planet, you're trying to get to the moon. Like if you go far enough, you will catch up with it. You might not get it initially, but keep going and stay at it. Like I didn't quit on that joint. I was like, dang, well, I didn't get there, but I'm going to keep going at it. And then eventually that momentum you built will start to catch up with you. Mm, yo. 
that's power right there. That's a that's a that that, that that's the truth, man. That like, but go ahead, keep going. What? All right, there's a journalist named Deborah Holt Noel. She's on PBS on NC. She does Black Issue Forum. I remember Deborah Noel hit me with a jewel one time, like when I first started a business, and she's noticed me. And I was trying to get on her show and get on any show. I'm trying to get the media to notice me. And she told me, she was like, when it's time, we'll call you and it'll be time. And lo and behold, I, st I kept going. And then eventually she hit me up and she was like, Julius, it's time, right? I said, it's time. And I went on her show. Perfect timing. So, so... And that show will premiere. Was it? In, is it in August? Now this is a different show. That was in the past, but like I am oh, about to be on. That was Black. Was that? What show was that? Black Issues Forum. Black Issues Forum. Okay. Look that up, man. Some good stuff happens on Black Issues Forum on PBS, NC, UNC TV. NC, UNC TV, Black Issues Forum. Wow, I'm not. I gotta admit, I think this is my first time hearing about Black Issues Forum on pbs is this a channel is this a website well how do you no nah, man you know what pbs is sesame street comes on pbs well there's like every state has its own set of pbs and ours is a unc system so pbs nc is under the unc tv system but do they have a youtube page no nobody watches uh, the tv some people in... it's some people like for instance npr some people listen to npr some people don't true 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 True. Touche. Touche. I didn't know what NPR existed at one time until I went on NPR, and then I'm like, yo, NPR is real, and I listen to it. PBS Black Issues Forum. That's a, that's, a, that's a show, but that's not the show I'm about to be on. But I, I was on that show a couple years ago. No, nah, but I still think that's dope to let people know that there's a show out there in North Carolina talking about black issues on PBS and and it's and it's out there for people to consume that so so before I even get to the new joint she hits you up gives you that jewel and hits you up to be on the show is that like the is is I guess like is that the moment you felt like okay I'm doing something right or like when at what point did you did you really think like okay I really got something here when when after you started with the home decor and started going forward Man, you know what? I think it was like an influencer hit me up one time, like a not like no celebrity, but somebody has like a nice community online and told me they like what I was doing. And they put me out to their community. I mean, people was responding to me. And I think once I hit like a thousand followers on Instagram, I was like, you know what? This is going to happen. Like, I'm just going to have to put in the word. And I'm not saying it's over with because I'm not that popular, but I built up a community. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. For sure. No, that's 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 dope. So a word up, word up. So my bad, I heard something. When it comes to the brand, the mm -hmm. logo, the cotton, mm -hmm. the vision, started mm -hmm. with a t-shirt, took home decor to get things going, to just get the name out there, try to let people know the message, the vision of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. What was that transition period like? when it was time to like turn to the next level when okay we got stuff established but the vision was t-shirts how do we create these shirts well really fans hit me up they hit me up with an email and they were just interested in learning more about me and like seeing if how we could work together and we right, started so. talking business and once we started talking business I, we know we nailed it down i figured out an answer to every problem we had and once we got all those, those issues and ironed out, got a deal done and we've been moving since then. No, that's fire. That is fire. So someone from that company reached out uh, mm -hmm. in good faith 
to try and get something going with you uh, based off of what made them reach out. I'm curious. The funny thing is he told me that he's been watching me for over a year mm. and just thought the timing was right. And mm. I was like, I understand timing. Deborah Holt mm. taught me that. Watching you for over a year. That's powerful right there because you never know who's watching and when. And the fact that somebody been tracking you for that time period and respected it enough to reach out at such mm -hmm. a company is is well, that's 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 like what what more can you really ask for to some degree like that's that's definitely a great step i'm curious what did you have to change to deal with that scale and level of business that maybe you didn't have to deal with prior well definitely i gotta assume some of the risks and make sure that our cotton is delivered to them and like in traditional conventional farm and we we farmers typically work with co-ops that, that take that responsibility and they got much more money and institutional buying power to take to mitigate those risks. So I had to take some individual risks, but it's relationship building. Also, I had to come over some legal issues with trademark and stuff. Like, so our clothing is under um, Black Acres trademark, which we, we uh, got the trademark to that. You're thinking working nationally, you can't break no trademark laws. So if you ever see a shirt with black cotton on it that came from me, it's only for merchandise of blackcotton.us home decor. It's not like the clothing line of black cotton. That's whoever owns that trademark, they can have it because they don't want to give it to me because they've been waiting to be able to find somebody, the true black cotton to actually sell. That people do oh, stuff like so, so somebody already just like almost like domains has to say, I'm going to buy this black cotton trademark one day. Oh. Blackcotton.com is trying to sell to me. The owner of this people that blackcotton.com is trying to sell blackcotton.com to me. So I'm not going to pay the price that they're offering to me for because I created blackcotton.us. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, completely yeah. different. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever them scrubs at blackcotton.com is doing, that's, that, that's on them. I am very competitive about this business. <laughs> Oh man, that is hilarious to me, yo. So people, so it, it it is funny though. So so what was that? So when did you figure that out that somebody even had to trademark as it relates to clothes? Because just as if I take a step back for people listening, this is free game because you yeah. might not know when you need to file a trademark. Now this is free game, and I'm not even a f lawyer, so this ain't even no game you can charge me with. This is for your game entertainment. So this is not real legal advice, but this is free game. If you're mm -hmm. trying to get something trademarked, there are different classes in which you can get that thing trademarked. Mm -hmm. You need to do your research uh, for those listening. If you got an idea and you think you got a trademark idea, da -da 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 -da, you need to figure out what class and how many classes you're going to file for for that said trademark. Because just because you have the trademark for, say, shirts, doesn't mean you have it for, say, like uh, something like a car or a radio show or something else in a different complete class. That's one thing. The other thing for people listening into this sort of stuff is when it comes to trademark laws, there are people out there who can def who can argue against your application at some point. That's a part of the process. Mm -hmm. And there are people out there in this trademark intellectual property space, like you just mentioned, who are owning things, waiting for their day to see an application come across where they can then sue, do something, fight against it, protect it. So you really got to do your due diligence and research to have a really paused trademark 
clause around what you're doing because just because you file an application don't mean you actually got the trademark one and what it takes to maintain it across the different classes is like a whole other thing too so i'm curious for yourself like what were some of those just lessons learned from a from a intellectual property standpoint as you started to come up with the idea of black acres well i, I talked to the owners of black cotton trademark uh, they won't try to share it with me and then I talked to another uh, trademark that was very similar to BlackKind.us uh, that I was thinking the idea going with, and I gave them the opportunity to share the trademark with me, and neither one of them want to share it. And you know what? I don't knock them, but I doubt they ever get to my level. And, and who am I to doubt anyone else? But I told them what I was about to do. Well, I didn't tell them who I was doing it with, but I told them I was doing big things, and I'm like, I can help boost you up if you share it with me. And either one of them wanted to share it with me, so I'm never going to help them. But I gave them the opportunity to. Yeah. That. Do you, uh, like, these individuals, are they, like, entities, like a business, or are they, like, personal? They own trademarks that I could have helped boost up their trademark and let people know who they were. But they didn't want to share it with me, because basically the whole thing is, like, I want to set up things so you want to sue me. And they ain't want to share it with me, so they wouldn't want to sue me. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm not going to give you no energy then. Okay. I remember one of them was like, I'll work with you, but I can't share my trademark. I don't care about your work. I don't care if it's Picasso. <laughs> I'm not working with you because you're not sharing your trademark. I hope you're watching. I hope you're watching. I'm <laughs> just keeping it real. I mean... <laughs> No, just in cases that he is watching, man. Just in case, man. Gotta let it's him. a chance. It is what it is. <laughs> Yo, that, but that, that's the, the ability to collaborate. It's a it's a thing. It's a it's a thing. People don't want to be collaborative in a way where it's mutually beneficial for like multiple parties. Usually, somebody does not want to do something if they don't have a clear cut advantage over everybody else in the situation. Like, rarely do people except what makes sense without worrying about what somebody else is doing. You know what I'm saying? Or worried about how, how we can work together to create something even bigger exponentially than what it is that either one of us have individually. But yet we gonna hold our human egos and put these things in a way to keep us away from each other and building. It's a silly, mm -hmm. silly, silly, unfortunate character trait in our community, man. I gotta say that. Well, I think that we put a lot of power in owning ideas, but don't give any power to owning infrastructure. And people who own infrastructure knows that they could change the idea because the infrastructure is right here. It's real. Ideas is just in your mind. No, I like that. I, I, I love what you preaching there in terms of owning infrastructure, man. And, and I'm really big on the idea of us owning more institutions. We don't own any institutions. So being able to leverage family-owned land, passed down from generations, figuring out how to leverage that to the to a more modern, say, environment, what that's going to look like for the future generations. For a lot of creative thinking, I got to admit, like, I guess, I guess, I guess my question is, because I think when I first met you, I had moved back to Carolina in 2017. Mm -hmm. And, and at that time period versus where you are now, you were definitely in the home decor stage and you weren't in full time moving mm -hmm. back. So to hear you kind of talk about like, okay, like I had to go back to really 
put everything that I had into this business and, and, and acknowledging like that was one of the more pivotal moments or influential parts to the journey is key for me because sacrifices are necessary. Sacrifices are necessary. You won't get everything along the journey, but what are you willing to sacrifice to go to, to, to gain more long-term in certain mm -hmm. situations? And it seems like you, you definitely made some sort of evaluation to say, whatever I got going on, whether it be professionally, whatever, I'm going to sacrifice it because I believe in this vision even more so than like what I'm currently doing. Mm -hmm. and that, that sacrifice was a, is a lot because I was living a comfortable lifestyle in Durham. Everything's there, but I had to go back into like the sticks here you know, to make things work for my business. Conventional thinking won't tell you to move to the country to make money in business because you typically want to move to bigger cities. There's more opportunities, but you know, it was God led. And I just felt like God was going to anoint this business if I made that sacrifice. And Lo and behold, things are happening quicker here than has ever happened. That's a, the proof. The proof is in the pudding. Ultimately, like the, the proof is in the pudding and and the, the quality of product that I've seen increase over time is undeniable if you've been following from that time period. So I'm saying if, 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 if this is this phase, like who knows what's what's next in terms of where, where the cotton leads. I'm, I'm curious, like just what are some visions in terms of like that you see you can do with cotton that maybe 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 aren't really explored today well i foresee in the very near future our cotton home decor being in a grocery chain that's mm -hmm. part of the plans that's going to happen really soon and you're going to see our clothes i said this is part of like my goals like a couple years ago that we was going to be in in malls across the country and with this vans deal and where we're moving with that i believe that's going to be sooner than later mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the grocery chains and the malls that's where you're going to see us grow in that's a good point and i have to admit like i've seen so more recently i've seen homes decorated with decorative cotton pieces i've seen it as a growing trend stores you go in if you go go in people's houses i've seen it as accent pieces in certain corners etc like and the connection that we have to cotton as say black americans is to not be understated uh, as well mm -hmm. and like you said the negative stigma i'm, I'm just kind of curious from you have you received any like backlash because nigga why are you selling cotton like we don't want to we don't we don't do this like have you have you received any sort of backlash like that to say like why would you take us back there what's funny Every uh, blue moon, they're not very frequent. A, a lot more when I was less popular. But now, like, it, as popular I am, like, coming in, like, with backlash, trying to backlash me makes you look like a hater. You know what I'm saying? In today's, you know, hot. And, like, because, like, I don't, I don't even try to put my, my, my following on people because it is unfair. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I've seen it, like, a person say something stupid and I respond back and then quickly 25 people, like, responding back, like, you dummy. You don't even know about this. Like, did it just go like the 50 people? And I, I, I like to just like, I got to delete the post. Cause I'm like, they just going in on this person. I don't even want this on my behalf. So you got, you got like a cotton, what we going to call that? A cotton, a cotton, we can't call it a cotton hive. Like what, what, what would be the, like the fly way to call that a cotton bud? Like, I don't know. Like what, what you got there? Like to, to call that community. What's the name of the we call it, community? We call it hashtag home team. Ha hashtag home team. Oh man. We, 
we gotta get something saucier than that, man. Yeah. Home team, we got, we got, we got to get something a little saucier than that. We go, we gonna, we gonna, we gonna marinate on that one. What we gonna? Call yeah, we we'll marinate because it's making me think about like I have, I, I don't even like to do that to people no more. Hey, man. Every 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 community needs something to rally around, man. So we gotta come up with a with a with a with a nice hashtag for the community since they already out there, man. That's just if they listening, we gonna think about that when the clip drop. What's the yeah? What's that hashtag gonna be for the Black Cotton Black Acres community? What is that hashtag gonna be to unify the community? Hashtag so, Cotton is our culture. Oh, there you go. The hashtag Cotton is our culture. That's on the shirt. You seen it on the shirt? Oh. That's on the shirt. Cotton is our culture. Man. That's under like the stem. You know what I'm saying it's cotton is our culture. They can zoom in on that thing, man. Cotton is our culture hashtag. So, so if if someone wanted a shirt, how could they grab any of your merchandise? Blackcotton.us. Send me a DM to at blackcotton.us on Instagram. Uh, we'll make it happen. That's so. It's just, it's just that simple. If you if you want to support what you got going on. And, and what's and the thing about this shirt is is actually produced from the cotton that you grow on your farm. Is, is yes. am I saying that correct? Absolutely. The cotton that we grow on our farm is going into this shirt, Black Acres. But is and Vance is our partner, our partner on it. So we have on our logo on the Vance checkerboard, and then our, our catchphrase "Cotton is our culture" to symbolize our partnership. That's 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 dope. That's dope. As much as you can share, are there more pieces to come? I'm curious, like, or or is this sort of like a one-time thing? Like, or do you think that maybe we can anticipate some more here in the near future? Uh, we're gonna have some more drops in the future. We're just figuring it all out right now. Getting the vibes together. Okay. I think um, I think we're waiting to see how things go from the PBS episode, and we're gonna go from there. Like what we want to drop next. Okay, perfect, perfect. So so Vans reached out on some social media type, just like following you. Boom, let's talk. You already did the PBS special once uh, because, like you said, people will reach out when it's ready. Already did that once. So I'm curious, what led to this upcoming? special that's going to premiere in august and what is that going to really feature all right so this is going to be on primetime pbs nationally so all across the country this is new show called human footprint this is the black host shane he's a professor from at um princeton university and he's a science professor and basically what we're covering is how humans affect the world and i'm in the season finale episode six episodes starting july 5th yeah, and I'm the focal person that we're focusing on in the sixth episode, which is going to deal on cotton and how it affect, how has it affected the world and how humans have affected everything with cotton production. Yeah. That's dope. I don't want to get too deep. When you talk about cotton production, how far back in the history of cotton production are y'all going? I don't even really fully know. I know I'm just focused on the episode. You know, I know they're gonna have some more information well, stuff up there, but I'm the cotton guy that they come see. It doesn't matter how you feel. The cotton guy they come see, so you really are the plug. And if they watching, shout out to the plug in the flesh. We 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 gonna start to close out because not 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 because just I really appreciate you being able to share some of the story, the background personally, sort of how you came into the business and and some of the challenges and things with your PBS show coming out as well, the 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 partnership with Vans, all the different things you got going. Like you said, sacrifices had to be 
made. It was a slow grind, a natural grind. I'm I'm curious, like, just for you personally, what has been sort of just the biggest fulfilling moment for you along this whole thing? Because it it, it started on a farm that you were working as chores. I'm curious, just for you, like, given where you are now, like, what's really been the the, the sort of just craziest thing about all of this for you personally? Personally, just bossing up off what I had. You know what I'm saying like. Like at the end of the school year, uh, I work at the uh, Northampton High School as a math tutor, and I built relationship with the students as an educator. To be able to give some of my students T-shirts and to see how it affects them, bigger than a trophy. Everybody around me, like to get a shirt from me, they they got to done something to earn it. And then like, I got to see something in them that they did special. And like the, the kids that, that do that, they so they're so proud. And like they they proud to wear the shirt. Like I'm glad that I didn't just come in and be successful off the rip. I mean, like like they ain't see the struggle and see me like going through it and being part of the community to try to build up the business before it got somewhere. And I'm glad I did. It. I'm glad I came home and did it the way I did. It. Word up, word up, man. No, I'm, 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 I can't do nothing but shout it out, man. Like, literally, like, I, 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 you know, we have some home decor in the crib and other places. Like, we, I remember when you were sort of starting out early and to see it evolve and, and how it's evolved and the way you've been able to take it and grow the awareness around the brand and everything is, it's, it's, it's definitely just to be applauded and highlighted. Any, like, last words that, listeners watching but we're gonna we're gonna put this out again here like any takeaways that you hope listeners listening or watching can 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 take away and, and really think about for themselves well i think that anybody in that any ordinary situation can make something big out of it because nothing was more ordinary than growing cotton the worst more ordinary and you could just make your make anything you do authentically you and stand out with it and go for it. authentically you i like that this is the g podcast where we focus on family friends finances freedom and our future and f everything else this is the g podcast we featuring the founder of black cotton julius tillery i greatly appreciate y'all listening make sure y'all tune in for the next one good to see y'all No talk back. Yeah. You see the game